All right. Welcome back to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with Rob and John. Hello, everybody. And this week, uh, John is going to share a story that he chose. So John, why don't you tell us what you picked? I picked a story called When They Came to Us by Debbie Urbanski, uh, published in The Sun. So I'm going to, I'm going to read, um, just from the beginning and, uh, obviously we recommend you read these ahead of time, but, uh, if you're not familiar, the, the story is set up with a bunch of headings. So I'm going to read two of those headed sections. They arrive on a warm summer night with no breeze. We went to sleep, and in the morning they were here. We saw them on our screens as they emerged from a grove of trees a hundred miles west of us. Their ship had crashed. It was made of a rose gold metal and looked like a claw with a broken tip. Within hours, the government had moved these beings, the blues we eventually came to call them, to a holding station outside the nearest city. There we could watch them whenever we wanted, because of the cameras in each room. We assumed they would have special powers, like mind reading or levitation, but apparently they couldn't do such things. What they could do was spray a fine white mist from their pores. Although this wasn't what we'd expected, it's still seemed amazing to us. White mist coming out of an alien's skin. Mostly they just sat there in their rooms. There was a big to-do about how nice their accommodations were. The pricey organic grains they were fed. The high thread count of their sheets. The multiple down pillows and the room dividers for privacy. The blues spent hours hiding behind those partitions. This became frustrating because we couldn't see what they were doing and we could only hear them and the sounds were unrecognizable to us. They weren't supposed to look like us. Science teaches us that creatures adapt to their unique environments. Surely the alien's home planet must have differed from our own, yet the blues did look almost like us, or like imitations of us. They looked as if they had done their best to look like us. They even began to mimic our speech, though their voices were pitched ridiculously high, higher than a human child's. Their skin, of course, was blue, as were their nails and hair. Mrs. Durand, who had lived here in town for many years, was disappointed. She wanted the blues to look like her dead husband, like in that old sci-fi movie about aliens who look like the form of people's deceased loved ones. That was useful, what the aliens in that movie had done. Cool. Tell us why you picked it. I kind of wanted to read like a speculative fiction story. and um, By speculative, you mean sci-fi? Science <laughs> fiction kidding. or uh, fantasy, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Now, I just thought that um, it'd be interesting to look at something that's not, um, you know, that is uh, fantasy, science fiction. And in that way, like purely fiction, right? Yes. Like this yeah. is not drawing from something that happened. Yeah, it's not memoir like the last two episodes. <laughs> yeah, let's make that distinction. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about that time. You guys, you remember 1982. <laughs> What did you like about it? Well, I liked what it did, you know, the way it introduced uh, an alien species. And um, and I liked that it was told in the this kind of like um, Rose for Emily style of POV where it's all the town's point of view. It's this uh, collective we. I thought, you don't see that a lot. I like that um, as a... As a narrator almost? Yeah, as a narrator. And then I liked the way it ended with the uh, the massacre. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, I, like it, it went there. That's just... Which was uh, which was interesting, and it brought us along. So I thought that was well done. It was interesting to see how unimpressed the town was by their arrival, and they never—I don't think they ever asked once, "What do they want?" And every alien arrival, it's, "What do they want? What are they here for?" And these people, whether it's part of it, makes me wonder if these are. This is a sci-fi story about people who've been raised like all of us on sci-fi, and there, there's an expect. There's obviously an expectation that is not met by 
these creatures' appearances. And it becomes kind of their arrival is like a non-event. They came, it, it's kind of described as an almost, it's like, it's inherently anticlimactic. They, they seem like the, the aliens themselves seem like they're a simulation of sci-fi alien simulations. And the people just seem so bored by them. And through their boredom, it's, you they kind of become annoyed with them. Yeah. Like kind of where it starts is like, this is it. It kind of has that that shrug shoulder feeling, which was like th- this was that was a really yeah. unusual way to start an alien story. So that hooked me. I was like, okay, let's. Where's this gonna go? Like the other episodes that we recently did, like where we talked about how death can inform a story, like the suicide in David Sedaris's piece, like that just casts this type of shadow over everything, you know. And just like war changes stories with Rob's story. When you start talking about aliens, like that's another one of those topics I think for people, especially for me. I have my own preconceived like Rob is pointing out notions of what an alien is what these kinds of stories are like and like how they inevitably end and so like when I started reading it I was like I felt this like sense of dread from the beginning like because it always is going to come to this right like it's always going to come to like destruction of one or the other there's not like a happy ending especially for like a short story (laughs) so I was kind of waiting and um I think why I like this so much was it was an alien story which is familiar but the best fiction takes something that's familiar and does something really new with it and so this ended up being like a study on race almost you know like this could be any kind of like group of people We, we talked about tribalism being like a theme and all three of the stories that we've recently picked, like us versus them and class versus class. And this felt like that. And that was why by the end, I I felt like it was so much different than a sci-fi story. The best sci-fi is not about aliens, right? It's about real stuff. Right. It's about how the people behave around them. And it's right to, as far as that dread, you're like, where are we going? Where are we going? And for it to end up in what essentially seemed to me was gentrification. Yes. Was. That's exactly what it was. Was kind of, was like appalling and like, of course, why didn't I see this coming? But also just like so pathetic and so pathetic, which made me want to go. I I did not go back and read the story, but you have that urge where you have a great ending and you're like, oh man, I want to go back and find the clues again. No, this was really clever. And particularly the the townspeople are just so self-involved. There's just there's no there's no interest in these things beyond how they can be entertained by them. Yeah, I, I wanted so much more from I think it was Mrs. Lucas who had the Mrs. painting. Mrs. Lucas, yeah. Yeah, like, you know And the dream. Yeah, and her dream, which was like taking a nice sexual turn there and then they like just pull this out those were like the stories that i wanted more of because even even like her perspective though like to rob's point it was like so self-indulgent like she picked a painting that didn't even look like their hometown (laughs) she hung it on the wall and and made something of it for herself and then like had to tell everyone about her dream but still was not doing anything to like help these people it was just like their arrival was important to her right what is it what does their arrival mean to me yeah everyone did that even if she was most sympathetic or the most close to like trying to understand them i like too how at the end it like spun off and was like like talked about like what happened later and like that little girl killed herself or whatever i was like holy cow what are we supposed to make of that but i yeah i don't know like even 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 that description the narrator's just kind of like yeah and then you know little Susie offed herself because of the aliens i guess and and like they don't even care about one of their own that was like really telling you know and they didn't care about what mrs lucas's husband was doing to her because they had their own like tiff it was yeah everybody even though we're using we throughout is in their own little world and that's all i care about it's interesting because uh like at the end of that section i read uh, mrs durand durand expected them to look like the aliens in a movie and it says that was useful what the aliens in the movie had done and then it says a couple pages later we weren't to call them aliens because of the words connotations it's like they're very uh they're not they're worried more about themselves than they are about the aliens themselves mm-hmm. and um 
uh, we've been told not to intervene out of respect for their culture, right? It's like, we're not supposed to think too much about these aliens as aliens. We're supposed to think about how we react to them and what they're doing to us and in yet, a certain way. by the end, they've like... Yeah, it's like they're not confronting them. They're not actually confronting the way in which it's affecting them. You know, they're, they're, they're separating themselves from them. I forget where, like, this is supposed to have taken place. Like, it always feels like it's like... Nevada or A cornfield, yeah. But it, like reek to me of like Midwest nice, which is like, it's more important for me to save face in this current moment and awkward situation than it is for me to confront like the deep truths. Like, yeah, you're beating your wife and I don't really get it. I'm going to talk shit about you later. But for now, we're going to just get through it. Pretend it's all fine. And it sounds like, John, you liked the way that it was told with these, like, mini subheads. That was an interesting thing. I, I like the, um, there's one that's, to be honest, the blues have not come at the best time. <laughs> right? And then the paragraph below that kind of explains what that means, you know, we're, we're having an economic crisis. <laughs> and I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. I'm not sure about it. It's it's well done. And it, it, it definitely helps you read the story. It de- definitely sets the it up. The subheads, you mean? Yeah. 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 It's very interesting. It has, it has a, de- a de- depersonalizing um, effect for me, the headlines. When you have that kind of slightly ironic, kind of making fun of the people in a way, almost making fun of the situation, it removes you that much more. And for these people who are so self-involved and so involved with their own disappointment over this boring alien arrival, it, it just kind of further removes them from just kind of the immediacy of the situation. So I thought it was just a nice a tool that she used there, possibly. For, for doing that. I wonder every time I see like a, a structure like this, how much work it was for the writer to do it this way, or if this was the easiest way to tell the story and that's why the structure works for whatever reason. As if you're looking at like an outline and the yeah. outline's filled in. Yeah. Was this like the way that she could conceive of it or did she work very hard to present it this way? Because like if you look at the subheads, the subheads are these unique lines in and of themselves. Like they're part of the story. They're not just um, asterisks or something. So there's something artfully done there but yeah the blues force us to ponder some ethical questions yeah it's almost like maybe if she were to outline everything that an alien species was going to force us to confront these would be the outlines and then like what's underneath is like a scene where that's kind of like demonstrated and i don't want to like get into the end of the podcast where we talk about the takeaway but i think if you approach this structure as it being the easiest way to tell a story and if you try to tell a story this way you try to think of like small moments it's easier to think of small moments and to write small moments that it is to think of like a sweeping novel and how to connect it all to just think or a big moment that has a lot of pieces in it yeah Yeah. i doubt she thought of this story like a to z a b c d e you know what i mean she probably thought of like j p q and then arrange them which is what which is what i'm trying to get at with all this like memoir stuff that's yeah that's true (laughs) Well, I mean, like that one, I, uh, the blues force us to ponder some ethical questions. That follows immediately <laughs> on uh, the paragraph that ends the previous section is, The girls arrived at school that day shaken. They thought, wrongly, as we all sometimes did, that because the blues had two arms, two legs, and a head, they would act like us. But they were not human. They were something else. So this assumption, we had to keep reminding ourselves, was untrue. And then the next heading is, the blues force us to ponder some ethical questions. It's kind of like, okay, they're not quite human, so it leads right immediately into that next next um, heading. So I don't think it was just merely an outline. Or if it was, it was a detailed outline, or well, well, very well composed, or rearranged. Because everything, I don't think you could remove 
them, <laughs> but they're kind of standalone. They they're, they're not quite standalone. I okay. don't think. I think that they they need one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they build into each other. Have you guys seen like on Instagram and Twitter lately the comic Strange something Strange Planet or something by Nathan Pyle? I think his name is. I don't use those platforms. Cool, Rob. So we'll link to it. But um, there's this comic and um, the aliens are blue and they're all doing human things, but the but the dialogue is like alien dialogue. So instead of saying like reading a book, it's like I'm consuming the text or something. And it's like it's all serves to like turn human behavior on its head in a way. Yeah, I think I've seen those. Yeah. yeah. I have a friend that posts them every single day. Yeah. I repost them, yeah. They're like all the rage right now. They're going to fizzle out. Sorry. But that's like the alien I was picturing the whole time. These cute little blue guys. And so back to your point about this being sci-fi, I thought that she did a great job too of creating like these people, right? She calls them blue and she talks about how they kind of look like us. So like we are allowed to like picture whatever little green Martian we always picture, but they're blue. And then like she slowly characterizes them in unique ways. Like when the when the one, the, the little boy aliens are skinny, which is not something you think about like being malnourished or whatever, or like what they eat. And then um, the one scene that like really freaked me out was when the girls like went and pounded on the one house and the boy alien came up and like started pounding back and then like opened his mouth on the glass. Like that was, yeah, that, that freaked me out. That scene, I marked that scene for, um, there's this, so when he, um, so they're spying on him, right? And they want to, I don't know, you know, whatever their motives are. He, he walks in, he, he didn't see them at first. He removed his shirt and faced a mirror on the back of the door. The girls were awed by the deformities of his body. The too long back, the emaciated legs, the severe angles of his bones. The boy licked the mirror with his tongue. This made Rita giggle. These um descriptions all feel like comparisons to what's n- what we would consider normal, right? It's like the back is too long. The legs are emaciated. So that kind of description feels like it helps reinforce the human perspective, right? It's not saying the, um, the legs were, you know, there's another way you could describe them that would set them as being normal. Mm-hmm. Like the legs were beautifully thin or something. I don't know, something better than that. But it really helps to create the sense that we're, be- we're being told this story from a point of view that distinctly sees these as being other. Yes. Even when uh, she like unbuttons her shirt and she flaunted her chest at the blue, the bra had stupid pink flowers along the seams. The stupid pink flowers is, you know, her point of view. Like that's not, that's not even the, like the whole town doesn't think they're yeah, stupid. No. That's definitely her point of view. Know. Yeah. So it's, um, I think, and it's done throughout. It's really uh, interesting how every description really other rises the blues in that way yeah i thought she like successfully even in just comparing created a species these are her aliens so it's sci-fi but her aliens have domestic violence issues <laughs> you know and they're original aliens too you haven't seen these before uh-uh. also like i don't know like maybe it, for me like aliens are just like a trigger okay they creep me out but reading this kind of stuff was like so fun I couldn't tell you the last time I read fiction that like scared me I read like thrilling fiction all the time but this is doing almost what like certain horror movies do it's not like you're jumping out of your seat but um the tension is it's like the scary thrill tension there's so much ugliness in the town and then when it bleeds all over to the blue people yeah yeah I would you could put this in the horror category easily oh yeah that's right yeah like if especially if you think about what would happen to this if it were adapted for the screen absolutely it would still be from the 
the human's perspective as opposed to like a third person. It'd be like uh, I Am Legend or something. Like, who's the real monster here? Yeah, no care. But it's pretty evident that, yeah, I'd be curious if the film could do could be more balanced. But yeah, it's tough to think. It's tough to be sympathetic with, with most of these people. Yeah, I don't know what a movie could do with the perspective, but I think what it would take away from this is like the violence at the end. What we almost don't even see. There would be like 30 minutes of bloodshed on that movie. I did think it was interesting. We talked about this a little bit with that um, the boyfriend from Lam Keen story. Yeah. The word the, when I talked about the word the. <laughs> yeah. But she doesn't describe the, the massacre that apparently happened, right? It's um, life cannot continue on as it is, can it? And then they're setting up a defense for what's about to happen, right? Um, we studied those textbooks. We, we know the dark secrets of history, et cetera, et cetera. But um, we wish to be rid of them, so we got rid of them. Next heading, the morning after we wake up and it's over. Right. There's no description of it, but the whole nasty business seemed like something we had uh, watched, not something we had done. The charred smell of the fires still burning east of town drifted in. Littered about our lawns in the street were the rocks and bricks and ropes. It's, it's the fires. It's the rocks, the bricks, the ropes. These are things that uh, we haven't been introduced to. They've kind of been alighted in the way the story has been told, but the the entire town sees them with a distinct sense of um, significance. That's why that that word the really helps sell that there. Yeah, it's it's almost like quantifying them as like known entities. They're like, yeah, there was a fire. It's not like, oh, a fire tore through town last night. It's like, no, this was part of We planned for a fire yeah. and we made the fire. Yes. Gives it a sense of the historical too. Like not only is it the fire, but these are the fires that can be remembered. These are the ones that will live on. Yeah, that's right. So it gives it a sense of like lasting. I really like this one. What would you guys take away from it? What would you try to copy? The main thing is what I talked about before with the uh, the point of view, and we I've mentioned it before for other things, but I think the way it's done here, what I with the girls um, spying on the the blue the alien, um, where he's described as the differences from their expectations, you know, that that just builds on that whole that idea that I bring up all the time. Apparently, the only thing I learned from these stories but um, is uh, telling, um, describing things from a specific point of view and what, how does what we're learning about reflect back on that point of view, reflect back, tell us about the point of the, right. the person who's... How does it enforce like, that it. ending, sort yeah. of? Yeah, um, and the, the, the whole collective we is, th- this whole thing is built up to tell us about this town, you know, and in each of the characters that were introduced to Mrs. Lucas and her husband and their little um, strange drama and... You know the very the, the many car- the many um, specific people in the town. It's all helping us understand the people in the town. Even though we're describing the aliens, we're learning about the people in town through that description. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's something to take away. I just really like the way that it's told with the the subheadings, and I think um, if you're trying to sell, tell like a longer story like this, it really helps to to write it in small chunks. That's like the only thing that's ever gotten me through like longer pieces is to think of like the scenes I most want to tell, and rather than forcing myself to start from A and build up to that scene, I just like let myself write the most exciting, fun part to write, and then I let myself write the next second fun thing, and I avoid all the hard stuff until the end, and then like. Pretty soon you have like this complete story, but um, the bonus is that 
you can probably arrange these chunks into the strongest version of the story. But as separate little scenes, they are nice as a reader, too. I found this to be an interesting example of when you have characters that are preconditioned by something they've either been seen on TV or on the internet or whatever. And when they encounter it, kind of what are the consequences and how do they react and how do they behave? And kind of one of the senses that I'm just really now realizing now that I got from the story is when that does happen, there's almost kind of a slowness to the characters. There's a kind of a literal going through the motion, not slowness as in intelligence wise, but just the behavior is seems slowed down as though you're going, you're literally going through the motions. This has already happened. I'm doing this again. I'm reliving something I've been entertained by. And it kind of gives like a, a cool, almost like a tape delay effect. Like this is happening again. And I think you can just, you can kind of dance back and forth between here, the now and reality and kind of the entertainment you've been conditioned by and there's the, the possibilities seem just endlessly cool for what you can do with that i thought this was another really good episode and i liked all the all three stories that we picked so thanks for tuning in guys see you guys